0: and all the people said amen. Luke chapter 7. Simon is perhaps a common name. One of the Pharisees, Simon, desired him that he would eat with him. He thought it would be good to have jesus over when jesus went into the pharisee's house sat down to meet now there's if you just pause on verse 36 perhaps we we might note that the specific house is relatable to all of the laws that should be followed those sect of Pharisees that adhered to a refined measurement of the law. And so Jesus went to this home where the law was supposed to be adhered to. Behold a woman in the city And and you could also relate it to or of the city or of the world, which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. This ointment that she would anoint it would be a precious oil. An anointment, something with a sweet-smelling savor. And I preach tonight the beauty of the broken. The beauty of broken. And I thank you, Lord, for your moving and for your presence and for the confirmation of the word that we heard in the office before we entered this house of worship so fulfill your desired plan in our lives tonight in jesus name amen and i thank you for standing Now more than ever, uh, I'm careful not to devalue the physical days of Jesus Christ. The 33 and a half years of his confined, mortal life. Now more than ever. But it was his choosing to become a man and to live like one of us that allows us access an example into who we ought to be. And to that extent, he was not only tempted in every measure that we are tempted, tried in every measure that we could be tried, but he had physical desires too. He was hungry. He, he was thirsty. His physical outward body gathered the same dust and dirt as any other traveler of his day. Luke, the physician, takes careful consideration to detail the events which will unfold in the life of the Lord. Luke writes about a dinner which was common and, I suppose, conventional. Men of means and the prominent would often gather. They would invite noted guests. And that day they would be celebrities to their homes. It was well documented that teachers, rabbis, were in high demand to fill the guest list of any such gathering. Some of the Old Testament prophets were also given special consideration. Elisha was treated kindly by the Shunammite woman and her husband, and there were more. So when Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner, it was for his own pleasure to host this renowned teacher, healer from Nazareth. So consider the scene. The table is spread and men of prominence are gathered discussing the current climate of Jerusalem. There are religious leaders, merchants, perhaps, the learned men of the day sitting in the house gathered around a table. The Bible will reveal to us that people on the outside knew who was on the inside. If we read in context, we know that the fame of Jesus is near its height. He is an anomaly. He has no rabbinical record, but he speaks as one who has authority, of course. It's confusing for them to hear him speak. They have been studying his book for ages. And now the author has walked in and they cannot see him for who he is. They know that Jesus is unusual. There's something vaguely familiar with his words. Of course, we know that the writers, Moses, David, Isaiah, and the like, were simply inspired by the same spirit residing within this human frame of Jesus, the son of Mary. There he sits, in the house of Simon the Pharisee, the keeper of the law. Detailed, in fact. Dinner is being served, and after having walked the bustling streets of Jerusalem and the outlined areas, even those narrow cobblestone pathways where animals also languish. Courteous demands for some attending servant to meet the guest at the door to provide a small basin of water, a towel to wash feet. But Jesus enters the house of Simon, and no such servant can be found. For whatever reason, there is no water or basin or attendant prepared to greet this Lord. So the incarnate God simply takes his assigned seat and joins the fellowship of temporal men. Who can imagine? No one really knows the content of their conversation. The scripture will not lend us the insight into the affairs of those present. But it stands to reason that pompous men are often engrossed in self-declarations. And there is the Lord among them. He's waiting. He's watching. It's then that a woman bursts through the door. She enters. We know her as a woman of ill repute. And it is certain that she does not belong there. Besides the obvious cultural conditions of conduct. Religious leaders and Prostitutes were always at arm's length. But Jesus is there and she has come with a purpose. She's not there to be seen by the others. Her intentions are very clear. She has come seeking forgiveness for her life. Her whole life is well known among them. Even Luke writes that she is a woman in the city of the city. He called her a sinner. She is driven by guilt and perhaps the hope that her forgiveness lies within the walls of the house of a Pharisee. And while we have no reason to associate her with Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany, she is a sinner nonetheless. This moment is likened to the one where the alabaster box was broken, but in this moment it seems that she herself is the one broken. Her tears become the cleansing agent against the stained feet of the master. Her life's deeds, what she has done, and how she has lived with all of its shame and degradation is poured out upon him. Think of it. The tears of her repentance becomes the anointing for the Lord. But Simon is disturbed by the scene. And he thinks within himself, if Jesus were a true prophet, he would have known what kind of woman it is that is touching him. Simon cannot see the value of her brokenness. He only sees the present state of her condition. To him, this woman is confined to her lowest level of her sin. To Simon, she will forever be what she has done. But Jesus recognizes the brokenness of her life, and it was her broken spirit that gave the Lord cause. Many have poured and pondered over the value of the broken. If you lean forward and see into another house and another scripture later on in the Bible, you'll find Jesus in the last week before he was crucified. There's another woman. She has an alabaster box of ointment also, but this time she breaks it and she pours it on the head and the body of Jesus Christ. Judas is standing there leaning against the doorway. He considers the value and he sees what was broken. He sees the brokenness as a loss. He even spoke against what was broken and what was lost. He said that the ointment could have served a greater purpose. We could have sold it and given it the money to the poor. It's a whole year's value. And Maybe no one would think of him in this way, but we know that judgment that he cast upon that day We know it as secular and carnal. It's not something that comes from the world. It's something that comes from the faithlessness that are close to God. Our society scoffs at such a thing. But as I stand here, I know that we are not of this world. We are of God. And in this kingdom, in this kingdom, the kingdom that you are a part of, broken does not mean ruined. Broken does not mean wasted. Broken does not mean over or shamed. When Mary broke the alabaster box of precious ointment, it finally, finally became useful because some things things are useless when they are broken. But in this kingdom, some things are useless until they are broken. And in the realm of a holy God, nothing can really be used until it is broken. In fact, anything that remains unbroken is not useful in the hands of God. Broken... Of course, in our idea, our mind, it denotes the stripping away of something and and the value is gone and we can't sell it now. It needs to be glued or taped back together. It needs to be fixed. But in God's kingdom, it is the stripping away of the outer person where the human facade masks the intentions of the wicked heart. Hear me now. Only those who live open and broken before the Lord can truly access Him. The tears that you cry in forgiveness are actually the cleansing agent for the Lord Himself. Everything else, it's just religious pride and semblance. And I feel us moving into a place of greater sincerity, and I pray for greater sincerity. I'm pulling back the curtain on self sufficiency and on arrogance. Hear me, church tenure won't bring you close to the cross, while an absence from the church will always cause you to become disassociated in distance. Hear me, just sitting where you're sitting. I don't care where you're sitting. Sitting where you are sitting is not going to bring you close to the presence of, the, of God. You've got to be broken. Before the Lord when you come broken before the, the Lord then you enter into the Holy of Holies I'm praying for many things. Please, please know I pray for many things. I I pray for many people, not the least of which is my own family and my own life. I also pray for God's direction in our church. And I say that a new building is not the draw for the lost. I know what the old adage says, if you build it, they'll come. But that's not the church of Jesus Christ that I'm a part of. That's not how he works. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Hear me, if the Lord's not lifted up in this house there's no reason for anybody to come here if the Lord's not the king and the Lord of this house if there's so much of me that you cannot see him (laughs) here pastor when I say he can only rise when we are willing to fall he can only increase to the extent that we are purposely and intentionally decreasing because our savior has made it so that there's only room for one him or me There's only one room in this house. And there's only one throne in that room. There's only one king. There's only one place for someone to sit. Even the lost, our unsaved city, the thousands who this very night are wandering in darkness, a darkness that the sun and the day cannot cure. Even the lost won't be saved. Hear me now. They won't be saved by our spiritual insights, our talented endeavors, our facade, our facility. But they need to be saved. I stand here to tell you how we are going to have a generational revival. A revival that outlives me. I'm a temporary manager just passing through this place. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost revival that if the Lord tarries for the next 50 years, it will sustain itself. I'll, I'll give it to you from the Bible. It comes when the body of Jesus Christ plants seeds that cannot fade away. And the psalmist said it, and I hope you can put it on the screen. Psalm 126. They that sow in tears... Shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping. Bearing precious seed. What are the seeds? They are the tears. He that goeth forth weeping. Bearing precious. Tears. Seeds. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing his sheaves with him. The broken sow in tears the broken weep over the lost they cry over what is left undone and the work of God that lies ahead the tears of the broken are seeds planted that the soil needs to, the soil will bring up the aimless and the undone cannot do it but they that sow in tears let me tell you about the rest of the broken but I want to say this before I go on if we will cry over our city if we will weep over our city God will let us see a great sustained revival but when we dry up our tears but when our eyes have no more tears in it then I tell you we are destined to fail we'll just become another denomination just another ceremony just another liturgy just another ritual I beg to differ we cannot do that we cannot let this powerful spirit too much has been invested in us we've got to sow in tears and you've got to be broken before the Lord I tell of all the rest of the broken, if I could, I know that there is a time to laugh. And I know that many people love to dance and sing, and I do. But the people who are broken, that doesn't mean that they don't dance and sing, but they are not saturated with the foolishness of this world. Even those of you who are on your phone right now, I know who you are because the the screen is glaring back on your face. It'd be nice if you paid attention to me. (laughs) At least turn down the the light so that it doesn't echo from your face like you're Moses coming down from the mountain. You haven't been with God. (laughs) All right. Because the broken, they're not saturated with this foolish stuff. They're not intoxicated on the temporal or even the temporal in the church. They're burdened day and night for the people who do not know God. They carry the weight of prodigals, of the discouraged, of the wounded. I'm grateful for everyone who prays for me that God would lift my burden. But some burdens, you ought to pray that God never lifts from me. You ought to pray that I always have a burden. You ought to pray that I always have some kind of weight on my shoulders. If there's anybody in your life or your family that's backslidden and don't know God, or they've lost or they're discouraged, you ought to pray that pastor never lose the burden and that you never lose the burden. Hear me. I've been around this a long time and I've heard preachers say just come lay your burdens on the altar. I don't want you to lay all those burdens down. I want you to carry it when you get up. I want you to carry it when you walk through the day. I want you to think about the people that are lost and going to hell. I want you to think about your family. I want them to burden your life. I'll tell you what I'm praying for. I'm praying for sleepless nights. I'm praying for a broken spirit. I'm praying for a gnawing in your belly that you can't get rid of. Uh Those people that are broken and are burdened, they are of Rachel. Rachel, the Bible speaks of it. Rachel represented a broken spirit. Jeremiah the prophet said that there was a cry in Ramah. He said that Rachel refused to be comforted. She would not be comforted. Why would Rachel not be comforted? Because Babylon had taken the children of the Jewish mothers to never see them again. The the children were gone. They were never going to see them again. The enemy stole the inheritance and the joy of their life. And so Rachel would not be comforted. There was a cry in Ramah. There was no good songs, no good dancing. There was no feel-good food to to quench the, the cry in Rama, because Rachel would not be comforted. And the New Testament latches on to the same statement when Herod rose up he was searching to slaughter the infant sons in his deranged search to kill the Christ child and the Bible says in Matthew 2 and 18 a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted why because they are no more because there was a king destroying the children there was an enemy destroying everything good that was coming and we stand here today and I ask is there any broken people left that would Cry over our city. I'm praying that there was a there is something that cannot comfort us. There's nothing that cannot comfort us. That we are praying for the lost, we're always burning for the lost. I take my cell phone and I pray for people and then every once in a while I'll text somebody that's not living for God and many of those people don't know how to respond. They can't just give me an emoji. They can't give me a thank you. They can't give me a thumbs up. Why? Because they know there's a burden on the other end of that phone. There's a cry and that cry can't be quenched by some kind of little feel good moment. Hear me? I'm crying for the lost and the backslider. I'm not sure if everyone feels this way, but when I see the backslider in my city, I'm not even sure what to say. I don't want to act like everything's okay. I don't want to act like they're okay. I'm not giving them the thumbs up, the like button. Why? Because I know there is an eternity waiting for them. And it is my job and my duty to be broken before the Lord and to sow in tears. Ah, uh, I know I'm I know this is maybe you don't feel what I feel but I feel in the spirit I feel in the spirit and while I was in the office I just asked some of the men that were gathered there before we prayed I said is there anybody that has a word from God I didn't tell anybody what the Lord gave me I just had just emailed and just put, put it over to brother brother Terry Broadstreet just so that they could have the scriptures I had already done that when brother Barbara raised his hand and said pastor I felt something in the spirit he said I felt that there were tears been sown in the house and there's a time the tears are going to come back and the tears are going to be a reaping time he told me that in the office where i walked out of here never knowing what i was going to preach so i stand here with the confirmation of the holy ghost if you'll sow in tears there is revival on the other end of your brokenness The prophets of old saw the result of the unbroken, self-contained and people who were in need of nothing. They saw the diminishing of the holy things of God had caused them to weep. Ezra saw the sinful conditions of the Levites. Can you imagine? He cried out to God. The priesthood had become sinful and carnal. Maybe the enemy tonight of holiness is the unbroken spirit. Hezra saw it in his day. He saw unbroken, unmoved leaders. They loved power. They were quick to accuse one another of things. Wound people. They fought for positions. If they didn't get their way, they started their own little group. I hope you can hear what the Spirit is saying tonight. Because unbroken men and unbroken women build calluses against the very thing that is meant to save them. It's like someone who takes too much antibiotics. Resistance to the tender mercy of God is like a resistance to a cure for your soul. Ezra said when I heard how far Israel had drifted how unbroken they were I tore my cloak and ripped my garment he said I pulled out my hair and out my beard He did all that because he knew that to get back to God, it would take a removal of the self-sufficiency in the flesh. Here, pastor, tonight, once you have been saved and you go back to that past life, it's very hard to get back to God. And the only way you could ever get back to God is being broken. Hear me. I'll take anybody back as long as they're broken. Anyone can come back to this house, no matter how far they've gone, as long as they're broken. But if they come back unbroken, we can't have them in here. Why? Because the only way we can get to God, the sacrifices of God are A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And I know what I'm up against. How do I make a case for tears? How does any preacher today in our era reach for people who are looking for blessings and prosperity? How do I preach the value of being broken? Because we don't want to be broken. We want to be fixed. We like to be cultured and polished. But I remember a time when people weren't cultured and polished. They didn't care what they were wearing. Because when they went to church, they went for a purpose. It wasn't always to run the aisles or jump and shout. But it was always to worship in whatever way they could. See, to get to God, we'll have to break ourselves. To be holy, pure, righteous before the Lord, we have to live open before him. Because at the foundation of holiness is confession, that we are undone and in need. At the root of all godliness is the idea that we are inept, unkept, far from God, in need of him. That he is holy and we are not. Stay with me now. But the more we get our act together, the more refined we become, the less likely it is for us to be humble. Hear me. Fine style does not impress God, the articulate presentation of how much you love Him does not impress God. In fact, it'd be better for you to take a note from David who called himself a worm. I'm glad that I have my faculties But I pray that I don't become so well put together that I lose my longing to be like Jesus. I hope you never become too whole to become healed. Because that's the problem that Naaman had. He didn't want to dip in that Jordan River seven times because it was partly filled with sewage and the other part of it was filled with the residue of what they threw out in the garbage and he said the rivers in Farpar are much cleaner why can't I go there and the servant begged him and said if you'll just be obedient you see there's a lesson to be learned obedience came at a cost in his pride Maybe he held his nose when he went down under. But he dunked himself seven times. And by the seventh time, surely he came forth like gold in a furs of earth. And it burned away something. And it didn't just burn away his leprosy. It burned away his pride. He became broken. It took away his wholeness. Because if you're so whole, you probably can't be healed. Hear me. If you want to be healed, you better got to lose the wholeness and the image and the pride that you've been holding on to. Because the Lord already told you, if you'll get up, if you'll shout, if you'll do what you don't normally do, I'll give you what you cannot give yourself. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's time for you to get broken, it's time for you to wallow before the Lord, it's time for you to lose your self-image and your reputation. Oh, come on some, I wish I had some apostolics in this house that knows the word of God is true. I want all the people in the church to have good jobs. I started a prayer some time ago. I'm praying for business owners in the church. I pray God gives you an idea and you can start your own business. Nico needs a job. <laughs> uh-huh. I, hope, I hope we have some business owners. I want everybody to get good jobs in the church. And I want you to do well with your money don't blow it don't be foolish don't spit it on cable TV I want you to have a little savings account go get go get a couple books and read them go dig up Larry Perkett get a little baby steps going put a little savings account together thank God but I pray that you never become so secure That you stop asking God for your daily bread. Because the moment you don't think that God is needed in your life to supply your need, that's the moment you become whole and sophisticated and secure. Hear me. I don't want you to be in poverty. I don't want you to struggle. But if poverty is the only way for you to get to heaven or for you to be broken, I pray you never have a dime in your bank account. If poverty and being stricken is the only way for you to be saved, I pray you struggle the rest of your life because you've got to be broken to be saved. And if the struggle of health or relationships or career keeps you broken before the Lord, I pray that these temporal things are never fixed. I want to go to a church where the pastor prays, I'd win the lottery. Did you not know that the lottery is a tax on the poor? I don't even want to tell you what the chances are. But you got a better chance of riding an elephant to work tomorrow. I'm not praying that I hope you get it together but really I hope you stay broken I'd rather see you cry before God because nothing's ever fixed in your life than for you to have dry eyes and fold your arms and, and never clap and never weep and never bend your knee hear me I've seen grown men cry before God in their times of need but when the need was over their eyes dried up they got their back straight they never bowed their head and they never bent their knees hear me I'm praying for a church that's broken for the Lord the best look you'll ever have is being broken before God Obrigado. And I hope we got good educations. You don't have to go to college to have a good education. But if you go to, if you go to school, I'm, I'm praising God. Go to school. Get some education. I'm glad you got, I got, I'm glad you got healthy endeavors. But to know all the things of this world is not near as important as to knowing Jesus. And the hunger after Him. That's the primary thing. Because there is no intelligence higher than just knowing who the Lord is. He is the greatest knowledge that you will ever have in your life. Hear me, whoever is going to school right now, grade school, middle school, high school, higher education, hear me, none of those teachers, if they don't know the Lord, none of them know how to really fix your life. They don't know anything about God. They're just teaching you a little bit of trivia to get you to pass the test. you got to get in here and know the Lord that I may know Him. i got to know Him. Don't think you ever get smart enough that you don't have to pray. Don't ever think you've got enough degrees on the wall that you don't have to cry. You gotta cry. You gotta pray. Maybe I've reached a point when I long for a little more simplicity because I'd rather have Jesus Because when we were growing up, we had nothing but God. We had a hunger for God. And we had a need for Him. And I tell you that the moment you begin to rely upon your own hands, that's the moment you think you're enough. If you ever think you have enough, that's the moment you become too too good for Jesus. What an oxymoron. Nobody is too good for Jesus. Broken is a position... It's not a detriment. Broken, ladies and gentlemen, is a lifestyle. It's not an event. Broken is what keeps us and binds us, not for fear, but to keep us close. I'm calling for a confession before God because the tearless man makes me nervous. The dry eye and the unmoved spirit is the great concern because it often denotes a secular and carnal position. So I rise to say... I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have the broken spirit. Because not only am I not going to be holy without being broken before Him, I'll never affect my world without being broken. Yeah. I'm at a disadvantage now, so you'll have to pardon me. I've been at too many hospital beds. I'm not thinking of anybody, but please just pardon me if you'll trust me. I've been at too many hospital beds with too many parents, mothers, wives, husbands, and children who cried in the hospital room and said, Pastor, if God will just do something here, only to leave that room and time will pass, no more tears or cried anymore. Because when the need is pulled out of your life, when the want is filled, we're no longer broken before God. I'll tell you what you want. You want to have a whole family, a complete family. That's going to take crying before God. It's going to take some tears before God. The songwriter said it like this. He said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than
1: to be the king of a vast domain or beheld in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world. Affords today than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today.
0: every mother in here with a wayward child I want you to speak their name and cry out right now to God that they would be saved come on every mother stand up every mother no, I don't want everyone to stand up I just want all the mothers to stand up who has a child that's not serving the Lord they need to come back to God and I want you to cry out right now every mother come on mamas I don't ever want you to be comforted don't be comforted I'm not offering you comfort. I'm offering you a burden, a way to plant a seed. Every father who has a son or a daughter that's not serving God, I want you to stand up, dads, and I want you to raise your hands. And I want you to say right now, help me, Lord, my family. Come on, I want you to plant a seed, a tear. If you know of anyone in your life that's struggling with addictions and they need to be they need to be delivered from their addictions, I want you to stand right now. I want you to plant a seed in the tears. Let them come out. It. You ought to cry to God until you feel the burden of their life. Those addictions are not going to break on their own. But you're going to have to sow something, and you can break that. If you feel in your own heart, if, you are, if you're bold enough to do it and you know there's so much pride in you and you, you know it's hard to get to God, I want you to stand up and just say, Lord, break me, Lord. Shake me, Lord. Make me all over again. I've got to be broken, Lord, to be useful in your kingdom. That's right mama that's right mama your prayers are not confined to this building your prayers are already in transit your prayers are already being felt by your children hear me come on that's right dad your prayers your tears those are those are those are seeds that are being sown right now somebody, hear the prophecy that Brother Barber said, hear the prophecy that he said he said it before I ever told him he said it there's been a lot of tears, there's been a lot of seeds and there's going to be a harvest from the seeds that have been sown hear me, these are the seeds that are sown that cannot fade away yada <laughs> bahaya If it's uncomfortable, just let it be uncomfortable. But pray that God would break your break your haughty spirit. Pray that God would break your pride. Pray that God would let you show that He would show you what you really need to do. There's nothing I I'm gonna put in the way of you, Lord. There's no Oh Yasondoroboshayabaha Tadaba. Kasandarabu syata ya bahasa taraba ya boha ya kaya batada sandarabu syata ya